today on Ag News Daily. EPA obviously has to approve use of any pesticide, and now it has uh, said that you can continue to use dicamba in these three formulations through July 31st. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell back today, joined by Ashton Carr and Mike Pearson. Guys, how are you doing? It's a beautiful day here in the midsection of the United States. I tell you what, guys, it is, uh, I don't know, from my perspective, kind of a slow news day in the world of agriculture. Do you have a whole lot going on? Uh, nope. I'm going to kind of agree with you there. Other than just watching the markets today, corn and soybeans both have a... Uh, Started out, not started out too well. Yeah, yeah, we'll cover that in just a little bit when we get to the markets. Of course, no corn was uh, corn was definitely seeing a down day. We are continuing to see traders get geared up for next Tuesday's planted acreage report. So we'll dig into that more on Monday. But we do have news, and I apologize, folks. We are recording before this news breaks. But uh, this afternoon at two p.m., USDA will be releasing their quarterly hogs and pigs data. We're expecting to see a slight decrease, three and a half, or excuse me, three point seven percent decline in the hog herd is uh, what is anticipated heading into this thing, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail tomorrow. So be sure to tune back in then. But Ashton, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today? So today I have found a lot of follow-ups, I guess, to some news line to some news that we have been following throughout the week, and one of them is from the. WOTUS replacement that uh, Delaney has reported sometime this week that it has been blocked by a Colorado judge. So the Trump administration's replacement to the waters of the U.S. rule is facing controversy. And Don Parrish with the American Farm Bureau says, while many accused WOTUS of going too far, there are attorneys generals in several states who say the navigable waters protection rule doesn't go far enough. And Farm Bureau supports the new clean water rule that went into effect Monday after a judge in the Ninth Circuit Court denied a motion to block implementation. And Judge Parrish tells um, the article that I'm reading that another federal judge did grant a preliminary injunction freezing the rule only for the state of Colorado. All right. So sounds like it's maybe not just a done deal then. Yeah, I'm not too sure yet, but I know that Colorado is kind of um, looking out for that new WOTUS stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I don't suppose that's terribly surprising. A lot of the folks know who follow this issue closely that environmental groups were not at all pleased with this Mm -hmm. new WOTUS. So the fact that they're they're raising lawsuits, not terribly surprising. I guess we'll just have to see where it goes from here. But Ashton, in your reading, the judge, I just want to clarify, put a hold on it just in the state of Colorado? Yes. At least. Okay. So for the rest of us. Yeah, from what I'm reading, from what I can tell, it's just in the state of Colorado thus far. Okay. All right. Well, keep an eye on him, Ms. Edge, and you are now on WOTUS beat. All righty. I got it. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a very exciting one, is it? No, no but hopefully it, uh, there won't be a whole lot more news on it. But while we're talking updates and, uh, you know, whatever, refreshers from stories we talked about earlier today, i got a story that I know you two talked about on uh, whatever day was a couple days ago. We talked about it again yesterday. Again, it's back in the news today. And this is the Roundup Lawsuits Settlement. Talked yesterday about Bayer agreeing to shell out about $10 billion to address the 
current claims in these lawsuits that have come against about Roundup. Another thing that was agreed to that I, I didn't know about yesterday, so I didn't talk about it, was the way that Bayer is going to address the carcinogen status of Roundup going forward. This has been one of the big concerns. If Bayer has agreed to pay out all these claims and they're going to continue selling Roundup, eventually more people are going to claim to have cancer from Roundup and this whole issue will be relitigated once again. Obviously, Bayer doesn't want that. So what they have done, agreed to do is come together. They are spending $1.25 billion to fund a basically scientific task force that is going to once and for all assess the carcinogenic status of Roundup. They are going to take probably four years to review all of the scientific literature. They are going to come up with an answer. Does Roundup cause cancer? Yes or no. And whatever they decide, Bayer has to abide by. So if they say, nope, Roundup doesn't cause cancer, we agree with EPA and the European chemicals and everybody, every other governmental board in the world, then Bayer is scot-free. No one can sue them for Roundup again in the future. Mm. However, it's a big gamble because if this task force comes back and says, yeah, you know, there's a chance that in some cases Roundup could cause cancer, this will open the floodgates for future lawsuits against Bayer. So this is going to be a really interesting thing to watch. We probably won't have an answer, well, it sounds like at least for the next three to four years, but it could shape the industry long-term. Yeah, I'm wondering why, was this a choice that Bayer made to do that? Yes, so this was their response to um, how do we address more of these lawsuits from coming up in the fact in the future. So they said, all right, we'll lay it all on the line. The Bayer and Monsanto really believe that there is no credible scientific evidence that Roundup causes cancer. And that's what the all of the scientific literature supports to this point. The only uh, the, the opposite voice, it's not even an opposite voice, is the IARC. They came out and they put uh, Roundup glyphosate in the probable carcinogen category, which is the same as bacon and working overnight shifts. Uh, everybody else seems to agree it's pretty safe. So Bayer is saying, all right, we'll prove it. We'll spend a billion and a half dollars of our own money. But then if it says that no cancer is there, no one can sue us again in the future. Wow, this seems kind of risky. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, and I don't know yet who gets to determine the makeup of this task force. I, I get the sense that it's being compared you know, put together by the court system, the judge, and Bayer gets some input and the uh, plaintiffs get some input or defendants. No, and I'm, I don't know what the heck, the other side of plaintiffs, complainers, mm, plaintiffs, yeah. um, they get some input. So yeah, I, I guess we'll wait and see. We'll continue to follow this as more of this news comes out about this settlement deal over the coming weeks. Well, one of the other stories, I, I was also kind of keeping an eye on that, Mike, but I'm glad you have a lot more clarity, it sounds like, than what I was seeing, um, is what China has been doing on the import-export side of things. It sounds like apparently, according to AgriPulse inside sources, I don't know if you guys talked about this at all yesterday, but China has been reaching out to processors of meat, seafood, and other foods around the globe asking them to provide proof of their, quote, mitigation efforts to keep facilities COVID-free. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that yesterday. And not just proof, they want the signed letters guaranteeing 
their shipments will be COVID free. It's bizarre. Yeah. Oh, it's super bizarre, super duper bizarre. But then that was also, I mean, not exactly uh, tied together, but we also then continued to see Robert Lighthizer talking about how China continues to come a long way to meet their promises to buy $36.5 billion worth of ag commodities. And uh, said in an interview earlier this week with AgriTalk that they expect them all still to do it during this calendar year. Yeah, so I had the uh, the chance to do the news with Chip um, yesterday afternoon, right after he had spoken with Lighthizer, and yeah, his sense was in their conversations, uh, you know, both on air and off air, were that this administration believes these things are going to get done. It sounds that's the case. I don't know. That seems pretty difficult, but yeah, I, right. And maybe they'll grant them some leniency if they just continue to make large purchases. You know, I I don't know the inner workings of this administration, but I thought it was interesting. We talked on Monday or Tuesday about Peter Navarro's comment that the the trade war or the the phase one deal was over. President Trump came right back out and said, no, it's still on. It's still good. We're continuing to pursue phase one. The reason President Trump wrote that tweet was because Robert Lighthizer told him that they needed to say something. They needed to emphasize the fact that the U.S. still supports the phase one agreement. Mm -hmm. And that was what kind of got that ball rolling. Okay. Interesting. Well, speaking of China and trade and exports, uh, we had some grandstanding going on in Washington, D.C. The other day, this was, uh, this happened yesterday. Um, Wait, what is today? Is today the 25th? Yes. Okay. Then, yeah. All right. This happened yesterday. All these (laughs) COVID days blur together. But um, we had two senators yesterday, uh, Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren, were basically grilling the uh, heads of Tyson, JBS, and Smithfield um, about what's going on with meat exports to China. Uh, This goes all the way back to when we first started to see packing plants reopen post Donald Trump's federal order that meat packing plants were essential and and, they could get their plans approved by the CDC. The immediate weeks following and really up into this week, and uh, I don't I didn't look at pork exports yesterday, but this has been continuing. China has been buying large amounts of U.S. pork. And uh, we've been shipping decent quantities of pork to China. Well, these senators are wondering why are we processing and shipping pork to China when we're having trouble uh, mm, producing having pork to fill our grocery yeah. shelves? Mm. And so they were pushing back on it quite a bit. Um, they said, quote, uh, this was coming from both Warren and Booker. It was a joint statement. They said, quote, this pattern of behavior, slaughtering and exporting, raises questions about whether you are living up to your commitments to the workers who produce your pork and beef, the communities in which you operate, and the nation's consumers that rely on your products to feed their families. Um, the reason for this uh, sudden interest in D.C. is bizarre. I, I don't quite know where it comes from, other than just there was some frustration that we were exporting to China. Um, and they're pushing for something. What they're pushing for, I don't know. So we'll uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, politics. Ugh. Mm, I like following politics. Yeah, okay. Okay. A bunch Anyways. of dirtbags doing dirtbag things because they can't make a living <laughs> in the real world. Oh, geez. That seems like a very sinister way to view that. Well, it's certainly cynical. I think they're the ones who are sinister. Okay. Anywho, what else is going on? 
Uh, I don't have many other headlines pulled up. As you said, it's kind of a slow news day today. What about you, Ashton? You got anything else? You know, I would agree with you guys. It's been a slow day for sure. And we've already talked about everything I want to talk about. So if we want to get right into the markets, I'm good with that. Well, before we do, just since we've already talked about China so much, I've got one more story that ties together. It deals with an aspect of agriculture we don't consider very often, especially here in the Corn Belt. But this is seafood production, specifically lobsters. China has been falling behind in its phase one purchase agreements across the board, both in conventional agricultural products. We've seen it with pork. We've seen it with soybeans. They're nowhere close to their $40 billion target. But in that agreement, they also promised to purchase $150 million worth of American seafood. And President Trump signed a memorandum earlier today to protect lobster fishermen here in the U.S. He says that if they do not, if the Chinese don't purchase their full $150 million worth of of seafood, they will look at reinstituting tariffs on Chinese products. So Mm -hmm. another thing that's interesting. I could go for some seafood right now. I was just thinking the same thing. A lobster roll would be an awesome (laughs) lunch for me right now. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty good. All right. Well, all of that out of the way. Should we take a look at where the market's closed for the day? Let's do it. All right, folks. And we've got weakness in the grain markets. Well, corn and soybeans, wheat was actually higher on the day. Found a nice little rebound. In corn, the July front month contract down seven cents at 317 and a quarter. December down five and three quarters at 328. In both contracts, we violated our technical support channel could lead to further selling tomorrow. Soybeans, July down one and a half cents at 869 and a quarter. November new crop down one and three quarters to close at 868 and a quarter. Looking at the wheat market, July Chicago wheat up five and a half cents, finished at 486 and three quarters. December up one and a quarter, closed the day at 495 and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, we've got some mixed trade in the live cattle complex, but strength in feeders and lean hogs. August live cattle down 27 and a half cents at 960750. The October down two and excuse me, up two and a half at 99.65. Feeders, the August contract up 37.5 cents at 133.25. September up 32.50 to finish at 134.50. Lean hogs seeing some explosion here in the front month ahead of the quarterly hogs and pigs report. July up a dollar even to close at 46.92 half. Looking over at the dairy market, we've got weakness. Uh, Yesterday, we saw the uh, deferred months down 75 cents. Today, we've got the June down nine cents at 20.92. And the July down 70 at 2086. Well, that is where the market's wrapped up. Let's discuss what is happening with Dicamba. To explain everything, we've got egg lawyer Todd Jansen joining us today. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. When your vehicle or machinery gets dirty, you wash it. But what about your wiper blades? Given the proper conditions, even brand new wiper blades will lose much of their effectiveness when they get dirty from field dust and road grime. It is easy to restore them to like new performance. Dampen a soft but slightly abrasive rag or paper towel with either window cleaner or windshield washer fluid. Lift the blade from the windshield and wipe the edge of it. 
change the position of the rag and keep wiping until no more dirt comes off. You'll be surprised how dirty they get. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Well, as promised, we are getting an actual lawyer who can hopefully shed some light on the dicamba situation. We've got with us ag lawyer Todd Jansen of Jansen Ag Law. Todd, thank you so much and for being on today. And we've had you on the podcast. It's been quite some time. So for those of our listeners who've not heard you before, heard you speak before on the podcast, just give us a quick overview of what you do as an ag attorney. Sure. I, I think probably the last time that I was on, um, I was um, uh, talking about ag tech issues and things like that. And um, and so that's usually what I'm talking about. But uh, as an ag lawyer, um, we do a lot of work uh, for all different kinds of clients, sometimes uh, for farmers, sometimes for agribusiness and sometimes for ag tech providers. Um, and so uh, you know, it's given us a good perspective being able to work with all different segments in the industry. And I'd say, uh, you know, a core part of our work is still with, um, you know, everyday farmers who are out there making a living on the farm. So, um, you know, it gives us a good reason to get up every day in the morning. Absolutely, Todd. And, you know, one of the ways American farmers have been working to make a living has been applying some of the new uh, chemical compositions of dicamba. And here in the last two weeks, that has been really thrown uh, thrown into upheaval by some court rulings, or by one court ruling and then appeals and so on and so forth. You right. reported on the Ninth Circuit Court's ruling when it happened. But can you give us just a broad legal view? What, what is the Ninth Circuit Court and what does it mean if Bayer or one of the other plaintiffs, if that's the right word, defendants, I don't know, <laughs> were to feel this? Where does it go? What the heck's going on? Okay, yes. So um, in uh, the U.S. Constitution, we'll start there. Um, one of the three articles is Article 3, which establishes the court system. And so we have a federal court system in the United States, and it's made up of uh, district courts, which are um, in every single state, um, you know, for example, here in Indianapolis, where I am, we have the Southern District of Indiana. Um, and then uh, on top of that, you have the appellate court level, which is uh, made up of the different circuit courts across the country. And the Ninth Circuit is the circuit which is located in uh, California, but I believe it also includes other states as well in its jurisdiction. So any case that originates uh, in one of the states that's in the Ninth Circuit, uh, will, if it goes up on appeal, go first to the Ninth Circuit. Um, and so that's what we had here. Um, and we had the Ninth Circuit, which ultimately came down uh, pretty hard on, on the EPA for um, authorizing use, uh, registration of uh, Extendamax, um, and then also included Pexapan and Eugenia, or Eugenia, however you say it, I don't know. Um, but, um, uh, the, the court of appeals, the ninth circuit court of appeals, uh, determined that the EPA had not done its due diligence when it authorized these for, uh, use, um, in 2018. And so it, uh, ordered that that be, uh, canceled, um, 
and um, at least for the remainder of uh, 2020, uh, which is all the longer that they were authorized for use anyways, uh, without another registration. Um, but anyways, um, you asked what would happen next, and uh, if this were going to go anywhere else, it would have to go up to the United States Supreme Court, which is the court that is above the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals in the United States. And I think, you know, quite frankly, that's pretty unlikely that the Supreme Court would take a case like this. It's definitely possible that the litigants would uh, bring it, but I can't imagine that they would take it. So with that being the case, I just want to follow up real quick. With that being the case, Ninth Circuit Court ruling will stand. EPA is now issuing some guidance. When you look out at what the future holds, we're, we're what, what are you advising growers to do? How do you make sense of the different rules and regs coming from states and departments of ag and EPA? Right. Yeah, I think most important is to see what your uh, state department of agriculture is saying about use of dicamba for this season. And, um, and I say that's most important because um, EPA obviously has to approve use of any pesticide. And now it has, uh, said that you can continue to use dicamba in these three formulations through July 31st. Uh, but I think in most states, you probably can't use it that far into the growing season anyways. Like in Indiana, I believe uh, June 20 is the cutoff date. And uh, Iowa, Illinois, other uh, states in the Midwest are probably similar. So I would check with your state Department of Ag or whatever your regulatory body is in your state to know whether or not you can continue to use it right now. And Todd, when it comes to who has jurisdiction, does the EPA or do federal courts or rulemakers have precedent over state bodies in this instance? Well, so as far as enforcement goes, um, generally, uh, pesticide use is enforced by states. And so the EPA could, I suppose, come down hard on somebody if they were using uh, dicamba uh, off-label or at a time of year when it was no longer approved. Uh, but in my experience, it's usually states that are regulating that and, and looking at uh, whether or not you're in compliance uh, because they're the ones that have issued the licenses for you know, applicators and commercial applicators. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the other big question I had then, Todd, is we're sitting at this point right now where we've seen, I guess, petitioners file against the EPA. Am I understanding that correctly? Within the EPA having a chance to respond and the petitioners having a chance to respond. What does all that even mean? Right. So what happened was after there was a June 3rd ruling, uh, which was when the uh, the Court of Appeals Ninth Circuit um, vacated the registration for uh, these three dicamba formulations. Um, and then the a few days later, what, June 8th or so, then the EPA came out with a cancellation order, which said that it would, you know, cancel the registration for dicamba. But there were all these existing stocks out there, and so it put out some guidance for who could still use those and how long they would have to still use them, um, which was essentially through July 31st. Um, if they had already been shipped at the time that the June 3rd ruling came out. Well, the plaintiffs in the um, 
in the case said, well, we don't think that's what the Ninth Circuit meant. We think that it meant to stop all use of dicamba immediately upon its ruling. And so they went back to the Ninth Circuit again and, and asked a panel of judges to look at it and, and, uh, and really petition them to say, didn't you mean that the uh, dicamba use should halt immediately with your June 3rd ruling? Um, as always is the case, uh, you get an opportunity to respond. And so the EPA came back and responded um, uh, what was last week, I think it was, um, and and you know justified why it did what it did. And ultimately, the uh, the Ninth Circuit said that they were going to let the June third ruling stand and the EPA cancellation order stand. Uh, so it didn't change anything, which um, is I think pretty common. Usually, when a court of appeals makes up its mind on something, uh, they don't change their mind when a litigant comes back to them again. Um, so that's uh, the EPA advice and guidance is uh, is what should be followed for sure. Now that all makes a lot of sense. And Todd, I want to look ahead to the future, look to 2021, 2022. My layman's reading of the decision was that the registration, basically the, the verbiage wasn't harsh enough in explaining some of the risks associated with dicamba, et cetera. And that is where the Ninth Circuit found that uh, this was needed to be re- revoked. Does EPA or do the companies that manufacture these new formulations of dicamba have a chance to rewrite the registration to keep these tools in farmers' toolboxes going forward? Or is it out, out for good? No, they can certainly go back and ask for it to be re-registered for the 2021 growing season. I think there's still plenty of time to do that. And I, I saw somewhere that um, at least a couple of the uh, companies were already saying that they were going to do that. Even though it was canceled, uh, they were going to go back and ask for it to be re-registered for next year. Um, and so I suppose the EPA will take another look at it. and. You know, it could be that they require additional studies or additional evidence that, uh, you know, the risks aren't as severe as people think uh, or as they've been made out to be. And they do allow it to be re-registered for next year. Um, I don't know. That'll be very interesting to see what happens. You know, I think for sure if you're a farmer buying seed this fall, um, you probably want to see you know what the tea leaves say at that point in the in the fall uh before you decide whether or not to buy dicamba tolerant crops for or seed for next year yeah well it will uh, definitely be a way to wait and see game it's always i think frustrating for farmers to see tools allowed to be used and then pulled back from the toolbox, but Mm -hmm. a lot of moving parts for sure. Todd, we certainly appreciate you shedding some insight into this whole dicamba issue. Thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. A big thanks again to Todd Jansen for coming on and explaining all of the stuff behind dicamba to us. It definitely proved a little bit of clarity for me. Yeah, it's a complicated topic for sure, but I think we're getting to the point now where sense can be made. 
Yes, I think that is certainly the case. And we're always trying to make sense of issues going on in agriculture. So be sure to give us a follow at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or listen to any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.